When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I am Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about the House of Hades, chapters 57 through 64. Before we started, Erin had some strong opinions on her Jason chapters. Would you like to share? I would, you know, (laughs) I will preface this with A, it's too fucking hot here right now, (laughs) and it makes me moody, and B, I'm PMSing, and (laughs) C, I did this after like a full day of work and I was like, great, I get the Jason chapters. And then they were the worst Jason chapters I've ever read. They were so dumb. But yeah, they were um, quite pointless in my humble opinion. And I'm sorry to anyone who likes these chapters, but become more interesting, please. Please, Jason, that's all we ask of you. Yeah. He just keeps having the same dilemma. I'm like, we know Greek or Roman. You keep choosing Greek. We're going to have this conversation again, Jason. And it's also funny because he always, one, harnesses some wind, two, gets mm-hmm. knocked out, three, discovers, like, you know, other people's feelings as if it's the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sorry you had those. I, on the other hand, have very <laughs> interesting Percy chapters. So I'm excited to talk about those. Those will be good. Yeah. Yes. Some spice and flavor to the blandness of Jason. Yeah, Percy's making it interesting. That's why it's good we do, like, both two narrators an episode. We gotta keep it, keep it fresh with Percy and Annabeth. Can you imagine if we just did, like, an entire episode and it's just Jason? It would be, like, 20 minutes long. <laughs> we would just be screaming the whole time. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even hate Jason. Like, no. I, whatever. It's just, sometimes his narration in this book feels like, especially this one, because he only has two sets of chapters. Whereas in... The Lost Hero, it was like a regular rotation, and same with the next book. It's like, he's a narrator in that, but he's like a, on rotation. But in this, it's just like, what? Jason? They're kind of all randomly in there, except Percy and Annabeth, they're consistent. Yeah, and it's like, for no reason, too. Yeah. Alright, well, I guess to summarize what we're going to be talking about this episode, Jason harnesses some wind and Percy contemplates the meaning of mortality right before he has to face Tartarus itself. So, you know. Wow. You know, different vibes. Yeah, very different vibes going on. Jason's just like, how do I get the wind to work? (laughs) All right, Jason, chapters 57 through 60. Jason chapters to ever exist according to me on this day (laughs) chapter 57 so what have Jason and the gang been up to while Leo is off having his romance on an island 
Well, apparently, Jason has just been harassing the Lord of the South Wind daily, while everyone else tries to fix a broken ship. They're somewhere near the northern coast of Africa at the Palace of the South Wind, which I had a whole rant about. I was like, this? I'm confused how they conveniently ended up here at this dude's palace. I... It really wasn't a rant. It was one note, and then I wrote, I think I have heat stroke because I'm so hot. <laughs> I was like, am I missing something? But Because he says that Piper had managed to direct the explosion of Keone's icy sphere. How did she know to go to this place? I don't know. I don't know. I also, when I was reading this, I, like, I get they have Nika who can tell them if Leo's dead or not, right? Like, yeah. yeah. But still, they are, Jason is so calm for his alleged best friend have been thrown into the sky i know it comes off the world twice. ending in like a few days yeah he's just like every day i'll go ask the sky can i have some wind and the guy says no and i return home <laughs> like <laughs> it's odd um but because piper was able able to direct the explosion she made sure the ship didn't get that much damage i'm like so why have they been repairing it for days okay and it was Leo. Yeah. But it was still pushed halfway across the Mediterranean Sea. So like there is minor damage and they conveniently ended up at this weird wind man's palace. We're just seeing all the wind guys in this series and it doesn't feel relevant. It's random. Just a way for them to travel from point A to point B. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they need the help of the King of the South Winds to guide them back on track because First of all, the boat is not working. And second of all, they, even if it was working, they couldn't get that far in the amount of time that they have left. And so Jason has been tasked with seeking the king's help because he is the son of Jupiter. I almost said Zupiter. I kind of <laughs> like that. Ooh, we should combine all of the Greek and Roman names. That would be fun. Nipo- nip- what? Nipple? Neposidon? Peptune. Peptune! There we go. Son of Peptune. Athena and Minerva. Who knows? Athena. (laughs) Who knows? Who (laughs) knows? It's the Spanish Juno. (laughs) It's Spanish. Did you know they they spell (laughs) haha with J's? Are we in the seventh grade? Yeah, in seventh grade, everyone who took Spanish one was like, guys, I learned something cool. No, it was And everyone who actually spoke Spanish was like, shut the fuck up. It was always like Facebook um statuses for some reason. I just laughed with the Spanish way when they made their posts. What is wrong with people? Honestly, though, those were the glory days of they Facebook. They really were, especially because we should not have been on Facebook, but we no. were way too young compared to who the target audience of the time was. Yeah, terrible photos, updates of just being like, just hung out with so-and-so, hee-hee. <laughs> like, what? what? Oh, good times. Anyway. Anyway. Back to Jason. <laughs> Uno. Jupiter. <laughs> or Jupiter. Jupiter. Um, so Jason has been tasked with seeking the king's help he is like on he's waiting to have a like 
a council with the king or whatever and Nico's there and he has a little confrontation with Nico where Nico's you know being shifty and he tells Nico like is this about what happened in Split and he's like you know Nico you can confide in me like you can talk to me and Nico's like no thanks and he really overreacts and says he's going to leave them forever and disappear after he helps them find Epirus and he's just like he does have like he's like I don't have I don't fit in anywhere even just like aside from his sexuality being a son of Hades has isolated him because everyone thinks he's the strange death dude according to him we I mean, don't he's know not that. wrong. He's not wrong. He's but not also, entirely wrong. When he's doing this, I imagine that, like, Mr. Krabs playing the world's tiniest yes. violin. <laughs> he's like, have you ever tried being a son of Hades? I'm like, I wish. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> but he's definitely feeling really isolated, left out, and Jason's efforts to connect with him are not working. And Nico's like, I'm leaving civilization forever, actually. And then a windy voice summons Jason to meet with the Lord of the South Winds. So chapter 58. Unfortunately, the Lord of the South Wind is having a Roman day, which means that today he's Lord Oster, as opposed to Lord Notice, his Greek counterpart. Because as we recall, they've been switching every day or every minute or however often they are. And Jason says that... um, I don't think he really likes meeting with either of them. He says Lord Notice is quicker to anger, but Lord Oster is really slow. So he, it's not really a good thing or a bad thing, which one it is. But he has to deal basically with a different version of the god each day. Jason first asks Oster if he's received any news of his friend Leo Valdez, which Oster denies. It sounds like Oscar. (laughs) Oster. Oster. Anyway, we learn that the only reason Oster even agreed to not kill Jason is because Jason was wronged by Boreas, who Oster hates. Uh, He tells Oster that in order to really oppose Boreas, they need to get their ship out of the harbor. Oster instead goes on many a tangent and eventually compares Jason to one of his own children. Somebody, he says, like, you remind me of my own children because you're somebody who has been blown place to place and doesn't fit in anywhere. And this resonates with Jason because at first he's like, isn't that just what Nico was saying about himself? And then he's like, am I Nico? (laughs) Am I the Nico of this group? I actually have had hard times too. Yeah, he's yeah. realizing it. He's He notes that ever since Hera erased his memory, he's been wrestling with the question of where he belongs. Mm. He never really, even before, he never liked all the rules of Camp Jupiter and knows deep down inside that he'd rather be at Camp Half-Blood. So he he makes that kind of decision in his mind, and he tells Lord Oster that they're leaving today with or without his help. He's like, I need to take charge of what I want. He says a moment where he's like, I'm going to get what I want. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It's it's very quick. It's in like a sentence. He's like, you know what? I'm going to live my best life. And then just asks for it. And the god is just kind of like, yes. And so he declares rather than asking permission. He declares that the Venti will take the form of horses and pull the Argo 2 to wherever Leo is. The god claps his hands and the Venti horses appear. 
He tells Jason that if he can learn to control the wild Aventi horses on his own, they will pull his ship from the harbor. And I was like, is this another horse girl movie? Is this an untamable if horse can, again? Yeah, he, he contained the wild horse that's his, and they have a bond now. Yeah, yeah. You can't give her away, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> She's not like the other horses. God. Is Rick a horse girl? Oh, 100%. He 100% has to own horses. Yeah. I mean, I know that in this chapter, actually, the god mentions something about, like, horses being a really, like, godly uh, figure because he's like, a lot of the time our spawn are horses. And Jason has a moment where he's like, I didn't want to know that, (laughs) (laughs) which is funny. So I know that horses were, like, really big to the Greeks. The Greeks were all horse girls, but maybe Rick's a a horse girl, too. Romans are furries, Greeks are horse girls. Are horse girls. Mm. We cracked, we did it, we cracked the code. But then Hazel is a weird mix because she's a Roman, but she's also a horse girl. Mm, But like, okay, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, she's an anomaly because she's from the 40s. Things changed later. I think in the 80s is when the split happened. It's like the two-party system, they switched. (laughs) They switched. She actually, when she joined um, in current time, she was like, wait, I align myself with horse girls, but everyone here is a furry. I don't know. This is weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, weird. That's actually the main, that's what Jason's actually choosing between. Furries and horse, horse girls. girls. I would also choose the horse girls over the furries, not gonna yeah, lie. I think so. Good for the furries. Not for me, though. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so for some reason, this chapter is also all about Jason's internal struggle with Greek and Roman, aka horse girls and furries, when, and he decides, like, in his mind to go back and stay at Camp Half-Blood after the war, like, that's what he views as home, he wants to be with Piper and Leo, and so he chooses Greek, and then Oster transforms into Notos, his Greek form because somehow and he's like you chose (laughs) this is what frustrated me i was like they're stuck on this island or whatever or wherever they are because (laughs) jason can't decide he's already made this decision i feel like like he's already talked about liking camp half-blood better and not knowing if he wants to return to camp jupiter (laughs) why did it take so long so that we could have something going on in his brain instead of just elevator music when we read from yeah. his point of view. And instead of, like, just learning about Nico <laughs> yeah. from his eyes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Jason then summons some wind ropes and Notos tells him to go to Malta where they will find Leo. Chapter 59, Jason uses all of his focus, which I said is not very much, <laughs> to control the horses as they pull the Argo 2 away from Africa towards Malta. By the time land appears in the distance, he's exhausted and covered in blisters from the wind. Also, Piper and Jason have a moment here that I thought was forced, and I did not include it in my notes where she's like, you're covered in blisters, let me get you some ambrosia. And he's like, wow, thanks. And then she says a comment about like, we're fine. And I'm like, that's what people say when they're not fine. (laughs) But okay. And as they approach the island of Malta, Jason spots a makeshift raft with a simple mast and canvas sail tied to the end of the longest dock. On the back, he spots a sort of machine made of celestial bronze, and he knows this has got to be the work of Leo. 
So chapter 60, they reunite with Leo, and while all of them are celebrating, Jason immediately notices that something is wrong with Leo. And I had a little bit of a moment here where I was like, are they in love? Because so much more interesting. So much more interesting. And I've also gotten like a couple DMs of people, you know, responding to our read of our our annoyance with Jason or with Piper's character and being like, we read Jason as like queer and Piper is queer, which is super interesting because their their relationship does feel super forced. But I've gotten like quite a few people being like, Jason's in love with Leo. And I'm like, now I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I ship it. Sure. <laughs> well, it's extra funny then too, because, um, you know, the typical like Piper being closeted even to mm-hmm. herself and just like choosing the first man she sees and the blandest yeah. man as possible. And be like, this is what w- women like, right? Yeah. And Jason doing the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And so he watches Leo. He sees that Leo is not fidgeting very much, which he always does. And he's wearing a similar expression to what he saw on Nico's face back while facing Cupid. He says it's heart sickness. Oh, what a term. Why is Jason like from the 80s? Jason. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Jason asks Leo what happened, but Leo gives him a look that says not in front of everyone. Leo then gives the whole group a short version of the story, saying he just got marooned on an island um, and figured out how to create this raft, and he leaves out all the details that we know about Calypso. Leo's mood seems to spread. Jason notes that Leo's humor is important to the group, and now it feels like the whole team has dropped an anchor without him normally making jokes. Frank, who is reading a brochure about Malta, which is really funny to me and kind of endearing. Where did he get the brochure? I don't know. He's just like, wow, this is neat. They're also at a restaurant randomly, which is like, mm. good for them. They need food. He says that according to the brochure, Calypso um, allegedly lived on Malta, and this makes Leo's temperament change even more. He starts acting dodgy and says that they should get going. Jason thinks that whatever happened to Leo, it had to do with Calypso. Because he can put the two things together. He can. He's doing better than the rest of them. Yeah. Because he's in love with Leo. Anyway. And read then, his emotions. Yeah. Then they see a streak of darkness shoot through the air like black lightning. And Nico ominously like looks up and is like, that can't be. Greece is still hundreds of miles away. Apparently, this is a sign that the House of Hades is open for business, and to indicate so, it has to shoot a dramatic lightning (laughs) bolt into the sky, which is kind of cool. The doors of death there must have opened, and Gaia is sending her forces into the mortal world en masse. So it's time to go to Greece and fight some monsters. Whew. Um, Oh, I also had another note just piling on to the, like, is Jason gay thing is that Jason describes Nico as having arms that are quote surprisingly taut with muscles and I was like are you having a gay awakening too Jason because it feels that way canonically everyone on the Argo too is like a big gay yeah they're all a little bit fruity a little bit fruity yeah I can I I can see that Mm -hmm. um those are all my notes. I went over everything else. I was like, I don't understand how they ended up at this wind dude's palace. Also, Jason is realizing his inner desires. Oh, God. Anyway. Keep that to yourself, Jason. Yeah, we don't care. Greek or Roman, not interesting, Jason. We've had that conversation many times. Anyway, um, I found those chapters dumb, but I also 
found some things in it that I enjoyed. I did enjoy, regardless, you know, if of my newfound shipper dreams. I do like how Jason is like very um observant of Leo's behavior. It's like a good good friendship energy of him being like, oh something's wrong. Like this isn't normal while everyone else is like hugging Leo and acting super celebratory. Jason just immediately picks up on it. And I liked that. Oh I like even in the last hero they tend to pick up on each other's the only two of them. Like Piper does yeah. really pick up on Jason's emotion, which I think adds to their uncertainty of their relationship. Yes. Because she can't tell if he even likes her. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jason and Leo can read each other really well and Leo picks up when Jason is like really upset about finding out his past and his sister and all that stuff. So their their relationship feels more real. Whereas, yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing that's missing from the Piper-Jason relationship. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Percy. <laughs> Yay. So I've got Percy chapters 61 through 64. So chapter 61, Percy has been trudging through Tartarus as a corpse after jumping from Nyx's mansion. He's learned to move a bit more normally with the death mist, and so he no longer trips over his, like, basically invisible feet. Ahead of them, there's an army of monsters by the thousands, all restless and ready to leave Tartarus. Bob takes him to the edge of the army, not trying to hide because, first of all, he's like 10 feet tall, but also everyone just assumes he's one of them. And also no one can see Annabeth and Percy. They're close to the doors and they just need to get through the army of monsters. They see old enemies like Rayon, the rancher from Battle of the Labyrinth. You remember he gave a curse to Percy and Percy feels that in his body when the Araya attacked him. Percy starts feeling hopeless in this sea of monsters. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Do you see what I did there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the amount of enemies Percy is seeing, he's realizing that no matter how many of them he kills in his lifetime, they will always come back eventually and someday Percy is going to fail. Monsters last forever, whereas Percy is going to eventually die, and probably from these monsters. Percy imagines that even his sons or daughters would have to fight the same monsters that he did, because they just won't die. But this kind of changes the energy when Percy thinks this, because the idea of children kind of shakes Percy from his gloom. And he looks over Annabeth, who's like, you know, a corpse and really nervous looking, and looks pretty shitty to be honest, but he swoons a little. He imagines the generations that he and his friends will create, how both the camps will survive even after they are all gone and they will be the ones to take on the monsters. So there's still hope, especially if the Greek and Roman sides join together. So in the middle of Tartarus, amongst all of his enemies, Percy starts smiling. Of course, the moment is ruined when a loud voice booms, Ipetus. And we move on to the next chapter. I really liked that. I really liked that kind of version of mortality it's a big theme that comes up in this section of chapters because instead of framing mortality as something that's like pretty horrifying and horrible and death is imminent they start looking at mortality as something that's really tangible and um creates a lot of hope which i really liked yeah and i like that like the journey he goes on in his Mm -hmm. thoughts too because i feel like Everyone has definitely had those moments where they're, like, that existential, like, oh, there will continually be, you know, monsters or problems in life, and then I'll die. (laughs) It's just, like, overwhelming, and then it's like, oh, but then 
you know, we, we raise generations, whether by having children or, um, having creature, animal, I don't know, dogs, <laughs> we raise dogs <laughs> or like knowing children, young people, yeah, not working with young people, influencing them. And we raise better versions of humans. Yeah. Hopefully. Ideally. Ideally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So chapter 62, a titan around the same size as Bob makes his way towards them. Percy studies the titan's face and he's like, I recognize the titan, but he can't place him. The titan greets Bob and introduces himself as Bob's brother, Koyos, the titan of the north. He's confused to why Bob doesn't seem to recognize his own brother, but Bob tries to play it off. Koyos tries to reminisce about the old days of holding their father down while Kronos chopped him into pieces. (laughs) He's like, ah, do you remember dad? And Bob responds, we're like, yes, we loved him. He's like, no, we chopped him into pieces. He's like, (laughs) oh, yes, I remember that. So fun. (laughs) So fun. Bob naturally has no memory of this and is a bit uncomfortable, but he does his best to play along and Chorus buys it. Chorus says that sadly their brother Kronos was dissolved into pieces by the demigods in the last battle, which was, you know, the last Olympian. And that's a wound that not even Tartarus can heal. So we know in this that Kronos is not going to make a sudden reappearance and be like the number one bad guy again. He's completely kaput. Finally. I know. Corey says the Titans will rule once again, and he says the Giants have already walked through the doors. Polybides was the last one to go about a half an hour ago. Percy is both horrified and relieved. The giants won't be hunting them in Tartarus anymore, but that means their friends are in extra danger. Basically, the, all the giants have entered the mortal realm. Koyo says that he has to go find his daughter, Leto, to convince her to fight. She is the mother of Artemis and Apollo, which is why Percy thought the titan looked familiar. He has Artemis's eyes and Apollo's smile, which gives Percy a bit of a headache to think about. He's like, knows the gods separately and their annoying quirks and his own relationships to them. So having their faces on like a scary enemy is really nerve-wracking. Before Koyos leaves, he tells Bob that their brothers are guarding this side of the door. So there's a chance he will see them and he should go talk to them. After he leaves, Percy asks if Bob is okay. But Bob is flustered and uncomfortable, which Percy thinks is understandable. He gently checks in on him, asking if he remembered his brother at all and any of the memories that they talked about. And Bob said the memories came back to him, but really painfully, as Coyce was talking about him. Annabeth is confident that Bob does not need to own his past. He's a better being now. Percy is more unsure and more understanding. As someone who lost his memories and had them handed back to him, he feels for Bob. He goes back to his old debate of like, are we actually the good guys? Where he thinks that Bob is only Bob because Percy stood there and said his name was Bob. If that had happened to Percy, if someone had been waiting for him when he had amnesia and said, you're Bob now, Percy would have believed him. And Percy wonders what kind of person he would have become. Mm -hmm. He also starts thinking about himself. Percy had left Bob at Hades' palace and forgotten about him. And so he feels he has no right to tell Bob what he should do or how he should feel. So Percy tells him exactly that. He tells Bob that he gets to choose. The future is what's important and he can choose to be whatever he wants to be. Bob or Impetus or some kind of hybrid version. Bob says the future and change are mortal concepts. Titans and the immortals are not supposed to change, but Percy argues is that if that was true, Annabeth and Percy would have died a long time back in Tartarus. 
maybe they aren't meant to be friends, but the truth is that they are. And he's been an amazing friend to them. Bob contemplates this, grabs small Bob, and decides to move further towards the doors. This was just like, this exchange was so good. Even the way that Bob describes his past, he's like, it was handed to me like a spear going through his chest. And he's like, it's supposed to be mine, but what if I don't want it? What if I don't want to own the things that I used to be? Mm. And the way that Annabeth, this kind of goes back to when Annabeth was little freaked out when Percy was so good at like quote unquote manipulating Bob but kind of Annabeth does the same thing back where she's like you're a better person now you don't even have to think about your past whereas Percy is like more understanding and like allows Bob to work through it they kind of did a role reversal Mm. and we know from Annabeth's narration that she's very worried about Bob remembering all of his past and changing so like we know she's doing that to manipulate him into not remembering yeah it's very interesting that that's the thing that she gets weirded out by percy but she does herself Mm -hmm. so i don't like to see ourselves reflected back especially i think maybe a trait that she doesn't like in herself where she's Mm -hmm. really calculating whereas percy is just like a golden retriever in her eyes yeah Mm -hmm. Anyway, so as they're going, Percy says that they are stomping around on Tartarus's heart, which is hardcore as fuck. Mm-hmm. The ground is slippery and pulsing with ridges that make it difficult to walk. And of course, there are monsters everywhere. Percy feels the water, which is apparently Tartarus's blood, which is such a gross concept. Also super cool. And so basically all the rivers of the underworld flow through Tartarus's heart and back out again. And so that's what Percy is feeling. Ahead of them, they spot jagged streaks of darkness, like pure black lightning, which are the doors. Which is basically what I'm thinking that Nico and the gang saw above is the doors just appearing up in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Percy has no idea how they're supposed to close the doors and fight all the monsters, especially since the House of Hades is on Earth. Uh, Gaia's land. As they move forward, they see that Hyperion and Krios are guarding the doors, which are Bob's other brothers. Bob tells them they have to follow him and hurry. If we remember, Hyperion is the like icy titan that, um, oh yeah, not icy titan. Yeah, I think it, back in the battle, not the battle of Lab, the battle of New York or mm-hmm. whatever, he's fighting and Grover turns him into a tree. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. We haven't met. I don't think we've per, like met Krios yet. I don't remember. I don't yeah. think so either. Yeah. So chapter 63, the doors of death look exactly the same as the set of elevator doors leading to the Olympus entrance in the Empire State Building, except the colors are inverted. This makes Percy feel incredibly homesick. He's thinking about his mom and his stepdad and just New York and all the things he can't have. The doors open. And the Titans call for a group of Cyclops that happily march inside. They're like, do you have your tickets? You need to be in your group, boarding group. And they basically, what opens up is the size of a normal human elevator car. But somehow everyone seems to be able to fit. So clearly it's magic somehow. Bob explains that every time the doors open, they try to teleport to a new location. Thanatos made it this way so he should be the only person that's able to find them. 
But now they're chained down and guarded by the Titans, so the doors cannot relocate, and the monsters can pour out into the mortal world at whichever rate they please. Which I think is a really cool concept. It's like, you have these doors, but it's basically, like, only Thanatos can decide who can come in and out, and the way that he does that is just having them appear and being unable to be found. Mm-hmm. That is really cool. So Annabeth suggests that they cut the chains, but Percy's worried that their camouflage will disappear once they do. There's a problem, too. Bob explains that someone has to stay outside the doors and push the button and defend it, meaning someone has to press the up button for 12 minutes or the doors cannot complete their journey. Percy's like, why 12? Like, that's such a weird number. And Bob's like, why are there 12 Olympians? We don't know. Just go with it. And I was like, that's true. And also feels like Rick just being like, I don't know, dude. I didn't choose it. I know. <laughs> if they're able to do this, the doors should reset and Gaia will no longer be able to use them to funnel her army. Bob volunteers to push the button and Percy's racked with conflicting emotions. He's really grateful because he doesn't really want to do it. But he also feels super guilty for feeling those emotions and the fact that Bob is in this position at all. He tells Bob he cannot ask him to do that, and Bob insists. But Percy, as he starts thinking through the plan, knows in the back of his mind that one titan cannot hold off an entire army. Percy realizes that he will have to stay behind and help Bob defend the button while Annabeth makes it through the doors. He doesn't tell Annabeth or Bob this, instead tells them that they need to first cut the chains. So chapter 64, Bob walks over to his brothers to talk to them while Annabeth and Percy sneak to either side of the doors. Krios and Hyperion complain about being stuck on guard duty and taunt Bob a little about losing his memory. And even at the time when they were killing their father, he had been conflicted and been conflicted about destroying the West. Bob holds his ground and fires back that Hyperion was defeated by Percy and turned into a tree for a while in Central Park. So he has no ground to fight on. <laughs> Bob argues that Gaia did not wake for their Titan War, but she did for the Giants, her real favorite children. Krios is unaffected by this, whereas Hyperion is. And he actually agrees. He even drags Tartarus a little, saying that Tartarus kind of sucks and is choosy about his favorite kids, too. It's just like a pit of darkness and stupidness. <laughs> Hyperion tells them to be quiet in case Tartarus is listening. The elevator doors ding at this moment, and they get ready for the next batch of monsters. Bob agrees to take one of the Titans' place, but to distract them while Annabeth and Percy move around, he says that he needs to know who he should be taking the place of, and neither Krios or Hyperion can decide who should get the break. Annabeth and Percy get ready to break the chains when suddenly the ground shakes and an explosion rocks the hillside. It knocks Percy backwards, and shrapnel literally shreds through Krios and Hyperion, killing them, and it makes Bob stagger backwards, but he's otherwise unharmed, weirdly enough. Percy looks over at Annabeth and realizes she looks alive and not like her corpse set. Basically, both of their disguises has come off. In front of the door, a figure solidifies from the darkness, calling out that the Titans are lesser beings, imperfect and weak. The god is described as wearing black iron boots, each the size of a coffin. His flesh is purple, thick muscles. His armored skirt is made out of twisted, blackened bones. In the god's breastplate, murky faces appear of different monsters pressing against the armor like they're trying to escape. The god is absolutely shredded, you know Percy and his muscles. 
Oh, yeah. With huge biceps and hands as large as crane's hoops. The worst thing, though, is his helmet of twisted rock metal with no real shape, just jagged spikes and pulsing patches of magma. His face is a whirlpool of darkness and it just vacuums up the shredded pieces of Titan into it. Percy speaks and names the god. It's Tartarus itself. Tartarus has manifested itself into a smaller version so he can specifically fight Annabeth and Percy, <laughs> who it believes has made it too far through their journey and is now here to personally destroy the two demigods. And that's how the chapter ends. Honestly, what an honor. What an honor. So um, I have a couple of thoughts. So first I was talking about how I think we discussed this before, but Bob is such an interesting character. He's one of the ones they have the most open dialogue and discussion because he's a bit like a child, so he needs to learn about himself. And it's also a great way for Percy to be introspective amongst all of his trauma. Because I feel like when they try to do that with Jason, where Jason is learning about himself through Nico being gay, it just yeah. feels really fake. Whereas mm -hmm. because Bob is trying to decide if he's a good person or not, Percy's able to evaluate and try to think if he's a good person. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I really like that. I know that they kind of did that with Tyson as well, where Percy's able to kind of project his own and process his own emotions by like trying to teach someone who's younger and maybe has gaps in their knowledge. Mm -hmm. That was one of my thoughts. My second thought is like, why is Tartarus popping out for Annabeth and Percy, but not for Nico? <laughs> Honestly, like Nico just well, actually Nico didn't deserve that. I don't yeah. want him to get more trauma. But maybe Nico just blended maybe he made friends with some monsters. <laughs> I mean, so did Percy and Annabeth. They made friends with yeah, the they Titan, got right? Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, why is it's not only that every single monster in this army is like muttering Percy's name under their breath because he's the one that's killed them, but also Tartarus itself has been like, okay, time to like mess around with these fools. Yeah. What a what a name Percy has made for himself. He really has. Tartarus is constantly hearing monsters muttering about Percy Jackson that he's like, I gotta come out and see this for myself. <laughs> All right, so um, <laughs> I have to know who is styling these gods. <laughs> I'm currently, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, this is, I went through like a little rabbit hole of like the idea of a stylist for the gods where she has to go to Paris Fashion Ooh. Week and she's like, listen, I need to curate something for Tartarus that's just so evil, but also something depressing for Atlas. But also some peacocks, because Hera fucking needs peacocks. So Gucci, what do you have for me? <laughs> you know what? I just had, you know, it'd be the coolest thing if there was like a fashion show where like each model was like their outfit was was inspired by a different god. That would Ooh. be really cool. I would, that's the kind of fashion I want. That's Give supposed that to happen gala. at them. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. That's what we're supposed to see. But they all do see. a bad job. They all don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the assignment, except for maybe three people, which is Blake Lively and Blake Rihanna Lively. and Zendaya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then we just are like disappointed every single time, even though the themes have potential and they could do this and they have the money and the time. I will say, out of the the three you listed, two of them are Virgos. So, like, 
Oh, yeah, that's true. Zendaya and Blake Lively are both Virgo queens. Me and Blake have the same birthday, so, like, what's the common thread here? Is that we understand the assignment. <laughs> so you're saying that you would also kill it if you got invited so. to that gala? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> you can wear just, like, a plain black dress. Even no, the theme is, like, like a sparkle. Yeah. <laughs> so mad about it. I know. <laughs> I love judging rich people. <laughs> I know. Great pastime. But yeah, this is exactly what I imagine. When Rick goes into the detail of these, especially mm-hmm. down in Tartarus, the, the ones on land are a bit like loosely adapted where they're like wearing jeans and stuff because yeah. they're trying to blend in, but they still are monsters. Tartarus, they get to wear like their full theatrical outfits, like flames and so all. So cool. So cool. Who is making these? I don't imagine Tartarus sat down and, like, made this itself, you know? But I love the idea that, like, once every season, this stylist comes down with a PowerPoint <laughs> yeah. presentation and, is, like, does a fitting for the Tartarus. I love that. I love that. Oh, it's <laughs> so good. <laughs> My last note was I was, like, the Percy thinking about his legacy in terms of his children is so cute and so hopeful, which I loved, you know? Mm. Yes. A little sprinkle yes, of romance. Yeah. Well, that was my chapter. It was a lot of yeah. um, me describing Percy's trauma that's building, but, you know. Love it. All right. Are you ready for the, the lightning round question? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> this is, again, more of a debate. I'm like, are the Titans evil, nature, or nurture? Because it's easy to say nature, but I would argue it's just nurture because their dad clearly sucked enough for them to cut him into thousands of pieces. (laughs) Is this just generational trauma? It is! It's generational trauma. The only reason, and it even seeped into Luke, but it didn't get quite into Percy because he had Sally to protect him. Mm, God bless. Yeah. Yeah, I would argue nurture too. Obviously, there are some that just are like evil. <laughs> I mean, I think the same with like human beings. I'm much more towards like the nature versus nurture. I think nurture is much more powerful, but there is like a na- like a nature that people or titans have. But I think they're all just like they're born and and uh raised <laughs> raises all of them to raised. Yeah. i don't think so to become monsters so it's like they're not exposed to another way of life anyway and some of them like bob when they are, are like oh i actually prefer being a bob than being apatus so i like the idea also that there is um like change that when he talked about like immortal versus immortal and like how future is a mortal concept because being immortal literally takes away the future from you yeah because it's just foreverness um so therefore you cannot change but then i liked that like idea because like if the titans were presented with mortality would they become better people that's again the whole plot of trials of apollo is it really? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> if you're turned into a mortal, can you be a better person? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. 
I guess that's his trial. Thanks for spoiling yeah. it for it's me. In the first, it's in the <laughs> back of the first book. Like the I haven't even lifted the book. Oh, well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He has well. trials, don't worry. <laughs> Plural. I love the idea of a first trial being like mortality and becoming a better person. The second trial is going to be like him trying to find a specific helmet in the middle of the forest. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, now you go. Know, growth. <laughs> yeah. The third trial is befriend a gay. <laughs> okay. Well, my second question is, what is your evil metal outfit you would wear to confront your enemies? Ooh. I would want it to be, like, all silver or gold. I don't know. I'm kind of dependent. Not both. That would not be good. But I'd have to pick one. And I'd want to be, like, covered in, like, sparkles. But not, like, gems. Not, like cheesy sparkles no rhinestones no i want to just be like so bright to look at (laughs) imagining you with like platform huge disco boots for some reason and a cape i could see that i could see that there was a look i need to find it and what is that song called because i you know during the pandemic i a little too closely followed the Olivia Rodrigo drama and Sabrina Carpenter's most recent music video of uh, Because I Liked a Boy. There's a scene where she's wearing like this whole weird like silver glitter thing and she looks so cool and I'm like, I want to wear that. I feel like I could be evil in it. I love how you went with chrome as your evil Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, yes, I found it. It's this, like, whole glittery. (laughs) You'll have to add it to I'm gonna just glitter. (laughs) You'll be monologuing and your victims will be shielding their eyes. They won't be able to listen to you or look at you properly because you're just reflecting the sun. important that I look, like, attractive in whatever I'm wearing. I want them to be intimidated by that. Oh, like they're, like, confused because they're a bit attracted to you? Yeah, like they're a little turned on. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, ooh, something to bring up to my therapist after. Yeah. 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 I was thinking, like, something really stupid. Like, I love the idea, like, with Megamind. Remember when he just, like, it's like, it's about presentation. I would love to have, like, little pipes on my back that just, like, like, you know the the, the Bowser? Yes. (laughs) You just, like, have flames come out of them when I talk for no reason. Yes. Like that... One turtle in Pokemon. The Blastoid. Blastoid, except water, it's fire. And also, I would like to be wearing, like, just, like, huge platform shoes. Like, I want to be six, seven. And the fire could, like, make you fly a little, too. Like, you just could (laughs) fly over. I I don't want to be, like, flying. I want to be, like, maybe an inconvenient three feet off the ground. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Just hovering. (laughs) Hovering. And just, like... Kind of going around them in circles as I speak. Yes, so you're finally taller than them. (laughs) I also think it'd be extra funny if, like, all the outfits I'm wearing are, like, designer. So it's, like, very, Mm. like, evident. Like, you can see the Louis Vuitton, like, LV all over me. It's sponsored content. Yeah. Yeah. You have a brand deal. (laughs) You are attractive. I want them to know I have money. Like, I have paid for this flamethrower. I (laughs) paid for the ability to hover. Yes. 
It's part of being evil. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Okay, the question I came up with, because I was annoyed with Jason being like, Greek or Roman camp, because obviously Camp Half-Blood is better. But, more importantly, who makes the better food? The Greeks mm. or the Italians? So if we're speaking like Mediterranean food or more like pasta and pizzas. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know what Roman food was, if they were like into pasta yet. <laughs> well, I don't know what the bread. Romans ain't. Like Quail. Dirt, dirty water. Dirt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know because I love right? Mediterranean food. I feel like Mediterranean, the Greek food feels healthier. It's what I crave mm. in the summer all the time. Like I make so much like different kinds of like Greek salads and pita breads and different stuff like spreads like that. We also don't eat meat, so it also disqualifies us from the more popular Greek and Italian food. Um, and then Italian food is like pizzas and pastas, which I'm always yeah. down for. But yeah. um, those are more winter foods. I don't know. I think I would for I think I would lean more towards Italian food. I think mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but it's I love Greek food too. But I think they use too much dill. I don't like dill. <laughs> You don't like dill? I don't like dill. It's one of those, uh, dill and cilantro are things that, like, I just, if it's a little bit is in it, it, like, ruins the whole thing for me. And it's annoying because I like the types of food that those are in, usually. Yeah. Not into those herbs, I guess. But, yeah, I think Italian, I tend to like, like, all Italian, obviously, the ones without meatballs. I like all Italian food. And Greek, I like most Greek food. Yeah. I think so. also Greek food is overlaps with like a lot of like when I think of Greek food, I think Mediterranean as overall, which encompasses a lot of like Lebanese food, which mm. I really love and like stuff like that. So that's what I think of when I think of mm. Greek food too. So I'm combining both. Still, Italian food, I think, wins. Yeah, I have a feeling people are going to have food. strong feelings right this one yeah i know i want to know i'm like because everyone always chooses the greek camp because we all grew up with camp half-blood but you know which which food though (laughs) yeah which food is important (laughs) okay well next week we will be doing chapters 65 through 71 we are getting near the end and so i think they're gonna come together or be close to coming together with frank and annabeth's point of views if you're interested in supporting us, you can find us on Patreon. Our link is in the episode description, as well as a link to send us an audio message. And you can follow us on social media at Camp Half Pod, and you can email us any questions you have, camphalfpod at gmail.com. If you haven't already, rate and leave us a five-star rating and review. Thank you. Bye-bye.